Welcome to episode 105 of The Complete Works Season 1, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Nicolas Cage. My name is Mike Smith, and joining me on this journey uh, into the depths of true cagedom is my friend, co-host, and fellow cageaholic, Mike DeCrecio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing excellent for uh, today's episode. It feels like uh, we've, we've, we, we had made it previously. We made it my way back when. In the trilogy oh, yeah. days, but I feel like truly we made it with this episode. You know? Yeah, I mean, this is a this one's been a long time coming. It feels like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Vindication. That's all I've been thinking. Exactly. Ever since this movie yes. got good reviews. Yes. Uh, yeah. This week we're getting back in the cage, uh, and it's with a movie that uh, that feels like the culmination of everything that we have been building towards on this podcast. <laughs> yes. You're welcome, the world, for this movie happening because it was by our sheer force of will. <laughs> <laughs> the cage of sounds happened. <laughs> if it wasn't for this podcast, would the unbearable way to master talent exist? Who's to say? You know, no, <laughs> no one could really know for sure. <laughs> if you put this up on like a conspiracy board with the red string, uh, complete work season one is in the middle. The source of all of uh, Nicolas Cage's cur- current news. Yep. We're, we're just saying at the beginning of this podcast, Nicolas Cage was making movies like The Runner, and now he's making movies like Pig. So, like, I, I feel like we got to take some credit for that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so when we set out to do The Complete Works back in 2015, we chose Nicolas Cage as our first subject, and it was during a pretty low point in the public perception of Nicolas Cage, because he was mainly doing a lot of video on demand movies that nobody was watching. His financial troubles had been pretty public knowledge for a while, and he was the butt of many, many internet jokes about overacting, right? He seemed like he'd sort of been written off by pop culture at large. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was uh, written off, discarded, became became a goof, the meme, a fall from grace kind of a trajectory to his career. Exactly. So nevertheless, we maintained that the cage would soon be upon us, and uh, we started to see it in some of those VOD releases, you know, like Mom and Dad or The Trust. You know, those got a little bit more respect than some of the previous ones did. Uh, and then Mandy came out in 2018 and reminded everybody what a natural force Nicolas Cage can be. Hell yeah. That was, you know, first step of many before yes. we get to where we are. It, it was a real turning point. And after Mandy, uh, Cage popped up in Spider-Verse, uh, had a well-received horror movie with Colorado Space, uh, did a sequel to his hit DreamWorks animated movie, Hashtag Croodscast. That's right. Uh, and last year, though he wasn't nominated, he got serious Oscar buzz for his role in Pig. Yeah, I mean, snubbed, honestly, if you really think about it. Should have won. Like, un- Absolutely. <laughs> just, who even won this year? Who won the Oscar for Best Actor this year? Ah, uh, it's Will Smith, I think. Oh, right, yeah, that's... It's weird that I forgot that, considering <laughs> everything surrounding it. But imagine how how uh, pure and clarifying it would have been if, after the slap, Nicolas Cage walked up and accepted an Oscar for a pick. <laughs> yeah. 
that would have been truly incredible. Uh, you know, said his th- like he could have said like we don't get a lot of things to really care about, and there would have been thunderous applause in the theater. It would have been great. Yes. Uh, it is a true comeback story uh, that looks to continue into the next few years. Uh, Cage is currently filming Renfield, his first live action movie for a major studio since Ghost Rider Two. Uh, wow. which was back in 2012. So it'll be like 11 years uh, once Renfield comes out, uh, which uh, Nicolas Cage playing Dracula in that movie too. Very excited about that. Yeah, and he sort of looks like the Joker from the animated Batman series, yes. uh, which is amazing. <laughs> and he also, didn't he make like two Westerns out there in Montana recently? That's right. Yeah, he's got a pair of uh, highly anticipated Western films uh, that he filmed right here in Montana. I was trying to uh, kind of scope out where he was. I actually know somebody who uh, worked on the crew for one of those movies and uh, got a couple of like, cool behind-the-scenes stories of Nicolas Cage that I don't think I'm allowed to say on the air, but still, pretty cool stuff. That was pretty cool to have Nicolas Cage here in Montana, and that is why it is the perfect time to release a movie in which Nicolas Cage is playing himself as a down-and-out actor seeking some kind of comeback, and it's kind of amazing that it all came together the way it did. Today, we're talking about the unbearable weight of massive talent. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor? No. What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, fuck, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry, one more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? It's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... I am Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you. I do. Is it too much? Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. Position. I think that's the actor Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you. Have you seen Croods 2? I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. Let's kill this world. Find a way into that room, Nick. I see myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it. Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. I'm Nick fucking... Yeah, 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 yeah.
So the unbearable weight of massive talent uh, was the brainchild of writer-director Tom Gormican, who had previously directed 2014's That Awkward Moment with Zac Efron, Miles Teller, and Michael B. Jordan. Do you remember that movie at all, Mike? I feel like I remember that cast, but I remember nothing else. Yes, I, I never saw it. I heard it was bad. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Basically, basically what I heard. But Gormican is a massive Nicolas Cage fan and came up with this meta-narrative about Nicolas Cage searching for a career comeback who accepts a $1 million offer to spend the weekend at a billionaire's house. Uh, now, the problem with writing a script like that is the only way it can actually get made is if you're able to actually get Nicholas Cage. Right, yes. <laughs> Usually when you're writing like a spec script, something you want to pitch to studios and stuff, you want it to be a pretty universal thing that like, you know, oh, if your first actor choice doesn't come through, you can choose somebody else to, to play yeah. that role. It'd be very difficult to make this movie without Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I, I don't think you could. You really couldn't. And Nicholas Cage didn't want to do it at first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he actually turned down the role three or four times, uh, had no interest in playing himself in a movie. And as we've really noted before, that makes sense because Cage almost never leans into the internet meme of Nicolas Cage. Right. Or even really acknowledges it kind of in like the interviews and all that stuff. Uh, as right. far as I've really noticed. Yeah. I mean, uh, the best example of it so far has been history of swear words, right? right. Where yeah. that was like a day of work for him and he gets to, you know, shout and do fun swear word stuff. So that's obviously playing up kind of the image of Nicolas Cage as this shouting overactory guy, but the unbearable way to massive talent represents kind of a massive pivot because this is the first time in a movie that Nicolas Cage is doing that, you know, right. like on purpose. Yeah. Like he says not the bees in the movie. Exactly. Which is insane. <laughs> I can't believe that happened. Yes. Uh, so finally, he accepted the role after Tom Gormican wrote him a personal letter attached to the script, kind of assured him that, uh, you know, it's not actually making fun of you. It's supposed to be a very endearing thing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, although Nicolas Cage did pitch an alternate idea first. That is a very Nicolas Cage idea. Cage's idea was for him to play the role of Javi in the movie instead of playing Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, <laughs> never, never always be yourself is all I have to say. Like, he amazing. Thought, he thought it would be even more meta if he was playing the Nick Cage super fan and somebody else... <laughs> was playing Nicolas Cage. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it's a pretty wild notion. As soon as Pedro Pascal was cast, he dropped it. But man, it'd be kind of cool to see the alternate version, like the alternate universe version of this movie where that happened instead. <laughs> I hope they did a couple takes where they switched and it's on its Blu-ray somewhere yeah. <laughs> like when also, this comes out. And not the first time that he's like suggested swapping roles too. Because I remember, wasn't it Trespass? He wanted the Ben Mendelsohn role. I think that yes. was it. Yeah, he wanted to be the villain, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so just super weird. But uh, yeah, that ended up not happening. Nicholas Cage is in this movie as Nick Cage, spelled N-I-C-K, a little bit different than how it's spelled in real life to emphasize that this is the fictional character of Nicholas right. Cage. But they do call him Nicholas a couple times, like say Nicholas Cage in the movie, right. which yes, I was they do. like a little surprised by because a lot of the advertising and stuff specifies like with a K like yes. in, in the <laughs> on the posters and stuff. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, but when it's short in this movie, it's N-I-C-K. 
And uh, Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian uh, plays Javi, the billionaire Cage superfan who invites him to his birthday party. Uh, from there, Nicolas Cage gets roped into spying on Javi from a couple of CIA agents. Agent Vivian Etten is played by Tiffany Haddish, uh, who Nicolas Cage actually recommended for the movie after uh, talking to his buddy Paul Schrader because uh, she was in the card counter. Right, right. And uh, Ike Barinholtz of uh, Mad TV, The Mindy Project, and Blockers uh, plays Agent Martin Etten, who uh, has not seen The Croods too. I was sad that he hasn't seen it, but I was very excited that that was getting specific shout outs in the movie and the trailers and stuff. And I yes, was like, definitely. you should be seeing the Croods too. Croods Cru- 2 rules. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hashtag Croods cast. Uh, from there, Sharon Horgan from Catastrophe and Game Night. Uh, she plays Olivia Henson, Cage's ex-wife. Uh, their daughter, Addie, is played by Lily Sheen, uh, the daughter of a couple of Hollywood celebrities. Mike, can you guess who? One of the Sheens? <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's underworld related. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, twist! Michael Sheen, Michael and Sheen, I... and Kate Beckinsale. Uh, Kate Beckinsale. That's yes. right. We we were just talking about the underworld movies recently on the podcast. I'm Mike. Mike, go to the movies, uh, and so I kind of had to laugh when I saw that uh, Lily Sheen, the daughter of Kate Beckinsale, and Michael Sheen, plays Cage's daughter in this movie. I can't escape the underworld franchise. There, it's going to haunt you forever now. <laughs> uh, but there you go. From there, Javi's love interest uh, Gabriella is played by Alessandra Mastronardi from Master of None season two. Uh, uh, and the ultimate villain, Carlos, is played by Jacob Scipio, who is also the villain in Bad Boys for Life uh, with Will Smith, by the way. Wow. Uh, and Nicolas Cage's agent, Richard Fink, played by Neil Patrick Harris of How I Met Mother. So there's that, too. Uh, also, Demi Moore has a quick cameo in the movie at the end, uh, playing Cage's wife in the movie they make based on the events of the film. And the director Cage is meeting with at the beginning of the movie is David Gordon Green, uh, who once directed Nicolas Cage in Joe in 2013. That's right. I forgot that he directed that. I was like, what a weird thing to have David Gordon Green be the guy in the beginning of this, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, he was not the original choice. Uh, the, the scene was originally written to be Nicolas Cage chasing down Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my uh, God. Hoping for a part in his next movie. Like, not even taking a meeting with him, just, like, finding him and chasing him down. Uh, but actually, Cage ended up suggesting they change it to David Gordon Green. That makes sense. So there you go. But uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, directed by Tom Gormican, written by Gormican and Kevin Etten, who also worked on shows like Scrubs and Workaholics. Uh, the movie opened in wide release, the first Nicolas Cage movie to do so in quite some time. <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't even guess how long ago that was. Probably Ghost Rider 2, if I had to guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, or maybe, it, you know what? Snowden might be the one. I guess if, if we're counting, like, Snowden or Spider-Verse or whatever, like, right, yeah. sure, those. But, like, movies in which Nicolas Cage is the lead, probably Ghost Rider 2. Yeah. Mandy eventually maybe sort of got there. I don't remember. But I, I don't think Mandy open. ever got to, like, fully wide, but uh, it played in theaters for a long time because people just kept coming back. Yeah, <laughs> just know? kept demanding it. Yeah, that was that was the thing where I think it hit video on demand and then theaters were still selling out because people were like, we got to see Mandy again. Makes sense. Mandy rules. They say that in this movie. Mandy's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this is the first Cage movie to open wide in quite some time. And it opened on April 22nd, 2022. It took the number five spot at the box office. Uh, opening to number one uh, was the new DreamWorks animated movie, not a Crude's movie. Uh, it's called The Bad Guys, uh, which I've not seen yet. Looks pretty good. That's why there were so many children in the lobby of the movie theater. I was like, what is happening? Uh, well, there's also Sound of the Hedgehog 2 is out right now, Mike. That might also be that part too. of it. Po- definitely possible. Probably both. Could be, yeah. Uh, also opening this weekend, number four spot was The Northman, the new Viking epic uh, with directed by Robert Eggers, which we talked about on uh, Mike Go to the Movies this week. You can check out uh, more of our discussion there. Also in the top 10, Sound of the Hedgehog 2, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, The Lost City, Father Stew, Morbius and Ambulance. 
Morbius is still around, huh? Morbius still kicking it in the top 10 of the number nine spots. Wow. Uh, which, I mean, considering that, I guess the previous movie in this franchise was Spider-Man No Way Home, which is like the sixth highest grossing movie of all time, and I'm pretty sure is still playing in theaters near me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, for Morbius to get in the number nine spot in like its third week at the box office, it's kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe also there's only 10 movies out, so. <laughs> That's also part of it, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the IMDb plot synopsis for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent reads, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a super fan, Pedro Pascal, and a CIA agent, Tiffany Haddish. So, Mike, like we were saying, I mean, we've been kind of looking forward to this for a while, um, partially as, like, the culmination of this podcast uh, and yeah. almost as, like, the ultimate indication that, like, the Nicolas Cage comeback is in full effect. Not that he went anywhere. Um <laughs> But, you know, that it's kind of, it really is, like, in full effect. Like, we've talked about Mandy and Pig, and these are movies that, you know, are pretty popular in terms of, like, critical consensus and film Twitter and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, The Unbearable Way to Massive Talent, this is, like, a play at a wide release. It's an action comedy. It's kind of more of a four-quadrant thing. And, uh, you know, it's getting a, a reception. Like, my theater was, like, basically packed when I saw it. Wow. Um, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, now that Nicolas Cage is kind of getting back into making some stu some studio pictures here and there, I guess, with Renfield, it really feels like a turning point in the Cage career. So uh, what are your overall thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent? Yeah, my overall thoughts are that, you know, maybe when I started, when we started the podcast, for me, maybe back in 2015, it was a little bit of like, wink, wink, you know, a little bit like Nicolas Cage is a good actor. Uh, I was saying as a joke, but bro, I don't think it's a joke anymore. Um <laughs> <laughs> is the whole thing um, you were doing this to humor me mostly is that? in 2015 specifically like the first couple of years i was like yeah okay uh and then especially when we got into the the, the vod era and stuff i was like all right uh you've kind of come around on it a lot uh and like as a as a full body of work kind of you know the oeuvre the nick cage oeuvre is amazing it's crazy and it's here we are the culmination of the comeback not that he went anywhere and it's crazy that this is a thing that exists i feel like i remember because you know as a people who podcast about a very niche specific thing anytime a bit of news drops 85 people dm me <laughs> the, the thing um and i feel like when this first got announced it was a party at quentin tarantino's house right wasn't that like the original ver or might have been making that up i don't know uh where like he gets recruited to it's to recruit on some spy on somebody but it's like at a more Hollywoody type thing. Okay, yeah. So, but I don't know. That was just a weird phantom memory I have about this baby. Um, but so to see what it turns into, and and I think having Pedro Pascal uh, as the as Javi as the billionaire uh, super fan guy is amazing. They're so good together, and I love the meeting of generations that that is, where it's like kind of Pedro Pascal is sort of occupying not the same thing that cage once occupied but like has the star power is the mandalorian you know is in every franchise thing he's gonna be in the last of us all that it, stuff. it definitely feels like he is on the cusp of like superstardom yeah um, and it, maybe he's already there but it feels different because he's barely like he's on the mandalorian but you never right. see his face true exactly <laughs> you yeah. know i think he's taken off his helmet like three times over the course of the show yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so a lot of people probably know his voice or whatever, know his name. Game of Thrones, of course, also. Uh, but so just to have those two kind of generations meeting of like the kind of action guy, 
leading man, the handsome dudes passing up the torch situation. I don't know. There's like a lot of obviously meta things going on in this movie. And yeah, I had an absolute blast. I don't know if I, I don't know if I said that yet, but I, I had a really fun time. This movie is great. It suffers a little bit, I think, for me in the like a little too meta because like there's only so many times they can be talking about the movie they want to make and say the thing that's about to happen in the movie we're watching, you know, right. like we should have a drug scene. And then they do the, the drug scene, uh, whatever. That's fun. That's fun for a while. But uh, besides all that stuff, uh, this movie is very fun and it is full of uh, little Nick, Nick Cage nuggets that people like me and you can just like, I'm not going to eat on those, <laughs> chew on that all day. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, I had a ton of fun and, and it's beautiful and heartfelt and, and, and also very emotional and, and, uh, good action stuff it's all it's everything we want in a nick cage movie you know it's got all the it's got everything in this movie so yeah i had a, had a lot of fun with this movie and it does feel like vindication for us we did it we did it Ma. <laughs> we can retire yeah, the podcast even though he's gonna make more movies no more <laughs> just kidding just kidding we're gonna keep talking about it well yeah we'll, we'll talk about cage movies uh as as long as he keeps making them basically Correct. or or until we stop podcasting whichever comes first yeah uh <laughs> So far, no end in sight for either. Yeah, I really enjoyed The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a movie that uh, we've said this before. I, I almost feel like it's I'm a little bit biased towards it because it feels like a movie that is tailor made specifically for me. Yes. <laughs> you know, it being a movie that plays upon the idea of Nicolas Cage and the career of Nicolas Cage, which we have covered so in depth on this podcast. So it's filled with Cage being Cage and lots of references to his other movies uh, and things like that. Uh, but there are just aspects of this character that resonated i think with me uh like even beyond you know nicholas Cage, like references and stuff like references to his movies and stuff uh there are things that his character does like the fictional nick cage that like made me think oh i do that also <laughs> <laughs> uh, specifically, there's the one scene where like Javi asks him like, "Oh, what's your favorite movie?" And Nick Cage's like, "Oh, that's a big question. I mean, how could you, <laughs> yeah. you parse down 100 years of cinema <laughs> yes. into, into one film and all that kind of stuff?" Uh, so like stuff like that, uh, you know, making people who are like less interested in movies than me watch movies that they won't be interested in uh, is something that I've had to kind of unlearn over the years, and it's still something that I. <laughs> struggle with sometimes as somebody that made my friends watch frankenhooker i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> that said i mean i love the cabinet of dr caligari i would love to watch it with nicholas cage that would be uh, amazing that would be incredible uh but even even beyond all of that i mean there's the the ending song of this movie is a uh, keep me in your heart by warren zevon yeah uh, which my dad was a huge warren zevon fan and uh when my dad passed away a few years ago uh, that was the song that my mom put together in like a video that like with all the wow. photos of my dad and stuff. And so when that came on, I was like, this, is this movie made specifically for me? Because when that song, came, like when I hear that song, that's what I think of like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so it's just very strange. But uh, so there's a lot of elements of this movie that kind of came together in the perfect way where I was like, this resonates really hard. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, there's there's just something about the like character of Nick Cage that feels so earnest. And I think I think that's the interesting thing about like hearing the behind the scenes stuff about how like Cage turned down the movie and he wasn't sure is it making fun of me? Uh, all that kind of stuff. And but when you when you watch this movie, you you really feel like these filmmakers of this movie loves Nicolas Cage uh, and realizes and recognizes that he's been getting like kind of shafted by culture, by pop culture for the last 20 years or however, 15 years or whatever. Right. Uh, and that's why I kind of love the not that I went anywhere, like recurring bit joke that kind of happens throughout the movie, because like, no, he's been actually making pretty good movies for the whole time, just collectively we decided to ignore them. Um, 
<laughs> Except not here at the Complete Works where we've watched all of them. But that really comes through, like in the in the kind of goofy action stuff, of course. But then also the moments like that, where that with the Warren's Yvonne song at the end, or having the family all together around brunch uh, tapas or whatever they're doing, and having pouring their hearts out to each other, uh, or even that scene towards the end of the first act or whatever, where Nick Cage is talking to his agent, played by Neil Patrick Harris, and he is gonna retire or whatever, and uh, has this like a really heartfelt and passionate speech, like I'm stepping away from the oldest human tradition that we have and all blah 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 and then of course the ends with the joke which is very fun but yeah i feel like uh d- deep down obviously this movie loves nicholas cage and and so do we yeah definitely i mean i was kind of almost surprised by how sincere it was too i mean that, yeah. like i think you know a level of detached irony was kind of to be expected here um mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing but this really makes cage feel like a real character uh, just trying to reconnect with his family and have his talent recognized and seeing the industry kind of pass him by and decide it's time to step away and all that kind of stuff. So I found that all really fascinating. And uh, like you were saying before, uh, him and Pedro Pascal together. So good. Pascal almost steals the movie away from Cage. Like he's uh, yeah. great in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He's so adorable. I don't know what other word to describe. Like, what, <laughs> I mean, but it makes sense. What, what, what would you be like if you got to hang out with Nicolas Cage in your private Island <laughs> or right. whatever, you know, like, <laughs> Fuck yeah, let's always talk about our top three favorite movies of all time. And and there's like that weird serendipity thing with the recurring Paddington 2 joke, which made me think the same thing where it's like, yep. do they listen to the, po- do they know? <laughs> like, like uh, Which I guess that's more of a Mike and Mike go to the movies joke than it is a complete works joke. But well, I feel uh, like Nicholas Cage would be a completionist. He listened to both podcasts. He listened to both. <laughs> Correct. Um, He's got opinions on our favorite werewolf movies that he'll yeah. uh, be sending at uh, Mike and Mike Pot on Twitter. Yeah, we'll have to revise our our vampire list when Renfield comes out. Um, yes. Yeah, it was it's it's a pretty it was it's a pretty incredible movie. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, so Nicholas Cage, of course, is in the unbearable weight of massive talent. How could he not be? Indeed. Uh, so, what do you think of Cage's performance in this? Amazing. Uh, it's weird to see him play himself air quotes uh you know asterisk but i think he's really great i think i think it it leans into all of his strengths all of the it's got the freak outs but i i really like the way they separate that i don't know how else to describe that without it's in the trailer i guess there's like the young version of nicky nicky cage right yes which is like a de-aged <laughs> like digitally de-aged i think digitally ETH yes, version yes. of himself so it's cage playing a young version of himself digitally de-aged nick cage that looks like cage did in like 1990 yeah. uh, he's, got, he's got like a wild at heart t-shirt on and all that kind of stuff he, he, it looks i think he's specifically i didn't look up the clip but it's one of those like late night shows where he comes out and he's doing the high kicks do yeah. you remember that video oh yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it's like deliberately paying homage to that video i think it's that version of nick cage like i think he's wearing the same stuff which is yep. crazy like the deep cut cage lore that that, that references but yeah so but it, it manages to kind of section that off into that other character that vision that whatever part of his personality that it is uh, so it gets to have those things but it gives nicholas cage nick cage in the, the modern day version of him like the chance to be earnest and real and not do that stuff that like you know he might have done otherwise i don't know why but yeah yeah he's he's incredible and it lets him get to get to do both things in a kind of like narratively conducive way whereas a lot of times we talked about in the past where cage is in the in the straight ahead movies he's doing the wacky stuff and in the wacky movies he's doing the straight ahead performance yep so he gets to have both things here which is very fun yes and i think this movie could have very easily just been a meme machine you know nicholas cage shouting all the the classic cage lines from you know throughout 
history and all that kind of stuff. Like it could have been, you know, him running through the streets saying I'm a vampire and it could have him right. been recreating not the bees and all that kind of stuff. And there is some of that, um, but he downplays it all for the most part. I mean, even the not the bees thing, he's just like, Oh, and I said, yeah, not the bees or whatever. Like, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Talking about uh, a belt buckle. It's so mundane. It's beautiful. Yes. Uh, and so he does, you know, some screaming and high comedy, but he brings a lot of emotion to his character here, um, which is really great. And uh, yeah, like you were saying, I mean, there's a few scenes where he's playing against young Nicholas Cage with Nicky Cage and he gets to go real big as young Nicky Cage. And that's kind of where a lot of that is isolated towards, uh, including one of the longest F-bombs ever recorded on film, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, interesting. I try. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The scene where he's just like, you're Nicholas and just keeps going for like yeah. a straight minute or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's like, like <laughs> it's the, oh shit, the she joke from uh, oh. history of swear words. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, he gets to do like one of the longest F-bombs ever and uh, also makes out with himself in that right. moment too. So it's just good stuff. And also kind of a nice touch here uh, at the end, in the end credits, uh, Nikki Cage is credited as a separate character uh, and he's credited as Nicholas Kim Coppola. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. That's absolutely incredible. Yes, yes, that's pretty solid. And uh, and I like the uh, the contrast they build between Nick and Nikki Cage in this because you know Nikki kind of feels like he's a movie star, somebody who is like you know supposed to be famous and is in a lot of big movies. And Nick, uh, when he's talking to Nikki, is like, no, I'm a working actor. I I just kind of get put my head down, do the work. And uh, you know, there's a distinction between the two. And uh, you know, it's kind of the push and pull of this movie. Like how much of this do you do for the fame versus how much do you do for artistic fulfillment? Uh, and right. you know, it's Nick and Nikki kind of the dual aspects of that personality kind of coming together. Yeah. I was really shocked when that started happening. Cause like I saw that moment in the trailer where it's like the DH cage doing the fucking saying that yeah. long F bomb. Uh, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. This is weird. Is this like a dream? What's going on? But the way that it kind of recurs and is used like to have him sort of literally confront his inner demons, his whatever, his id, whatever you want to call it, uh, yep. have that be personified uh, as himself from his kind of like young rock star era uh, is fascinating. That's like wild. I'm surprised he's not in like the, the snakeskin jacket uh, from wild at heart. Uh, but I like this more deep, this deep cut version even more, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's obviously playing upon Nicholas Cage's actual image and in, in public perception of that. Um, but then there's also just stuff in this movie, like the way Nick Cage in real life, like the actor, Nick Cage um, kind of approached this character. Like he really approached both versions of Nick Cage in this as like fully fictionalized versions of himself. I, I believe uh, Neil Patrick Harris was saying that uh, Nick Cage had some of his tattoos covered up by the makeup artist. Mm -hmm. uh, and Neil Patrick Harris was like, why are you doing that if you're playing yourself? And he's like, well, the character in this movie has not had as many ex-wives as I have had. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and so I need to cover up a few of these. That's really funny, actually. Uh, which is pretty great. So, uh, so obviously, this is a big question, I guess, here. But how do you think this fits into the Nicolas Cage roles that we've seen so far, Mike? I mean, I think this is the the moment that I have to retire the answer that this is the uh, natural <laughs> evolution of the roles we've seen Cage play so far. I think you're uh, right. Which was for, you know, newcomers to the podcast, uh, the stock answer what I didn't know <laughs> what to say <laughs> way back in 2016, uh, 2015, right. whatever. But really, though, this is this is the culmination of all of them. It, it's everything. It's hard to pin down. I mean, I guess adaptation, you know, he's playing a dual role. Uh, yeah. 
against himself, which is very fun. And then, you know, all of the movies that they just like visually name check, basically, you know, the <laughs> face off every every I don't know all the stuff. It's it's everything. It's crazy to see Cage's career come come to this point where we can make a movie that is full of the last 40 years of his career, <laughs> um, basically. <laughs> uh, and lovingly, I guess, is what is the best part about this movie uh, and this role. Like I, we were, like I was saying before, where this could have been mean, ironic, kind of look at what he's willing to do to himself type of movie. Maybe 10 years ago, that was what this would have been. But now we've come back around uh, culturally to like, hey, be nice to people <laughs> type of situation. So, so yeah, I don't know really any specific movies to isolate other than, you know, face off and adaptation and stuff. But what do you got? Oh, yeah. Well, I got a bunch here, Mike. Uh, but I think the closest comparison to make is adaptation um, in which Cage plays Charlie Kaufman, who is the writer of that movie uh, and is working on a screenplay that ultimately becomes the very movie that we're watching. Right. Uh, which this movie also does that. And also one that kind of lampoons the Hollywood notion of needing some kind of hook or action to get people into the theater by becoming something more action oriented in its third act. Right. Uh, and that's <laughs> what this one does. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the Deus Ex Machina stuff. In, in the end of adaptation and yep. the end of this. Wow. Yeah, it's actually like it's, it's kind of a direct parallel to adaptation. And actually the dual role thing here is also a direct nod to adaptation, according to uh, director Tom Cormican. But then, yeah, there's all the cage references. I mean, the movie opens with uh, the president's daughter watching Con Air uh, and the uh, Trisha Yearwood song. How do I live is playing as she gets kidnapped, uh, yeah. which is pretty great. Uh, Javi tells a story of connecting with his father through guarding Tess. I can't believe when they name dropped guarding Tess. <laughs> shocked <laughs> uh but i kind of love that it was guarding tests and not one of the bigger cage movies too like i feel like there's something to be said there where it's like you know in the pursuit of arts and the pursuit of creation like it doesn't matter what you create or when you create it or like something will hit somebody at just the right moment where it's going to mean something to them kind of thing right uh, so guarding tests which uh, i think we obviously reviewed in this podcast and i think both felt was kind of like a middling studio comedy <laughs> Yeah, right? that gets really weird towards the end because it's, kind of, it's a lighthearted comedy at first and then it turns into like a dark kidnapping movie for the last like 30 minutes. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Holy shit. But uh, I love that. Uh, that's the movie that shows for uh, Javi to kind of connect with his father over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, and like also in the context of Javi and his father like that, like, of course, it's guarding tests. It's whatever stupid movies on TNT on mute in the in the exactly. waiting room, you know? <laughs> Yeah. What, what else? Did you have any other movies? I don't know. I had a few here. Yeah. Sense. I mean, they, they bring back the golden guns from face off, of course, uh, right. which was cool. Cage drives the getaway car uh, during the drug scene because they mentioned he did all his own stunts and gone in 60 seconds. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the scene where Cage is drinking beer at the bottom of the swimming pool is a reference to leaving Las Vegas. Uh, right. A shot from that movie, too. Uh, and then, of course, there's tons of props in Javi's special Nicolas Cage room, which I'm going to go to the IMD page and run down as many are as are available right now. I'm sure there are more that have haven't been added time to be yet <laughs> yeah um but i will run down but what, what did you want to say mike before i do that yeah i forgot about the leaving las vegas like recreation of that shot of him sinking to the bottom of the pool and drinking out of the out of the beer i mean that's like i mean that's the iconic that's the one right that's the oscar movie yeah so it's, it's cool to see that yeah definitely so uh yeah so at, at one point in the movie uh javi brings nicholas cage to a special nicholas cage room at his compound uh where he's just got a ton of different props and memorabilia from different nicholas cage movies uh and this is one of those things where like when this movie comes out on blu-ray or something i feel like i will need to buy it and just like pause it during the scenes like try yeah. to pick out as many things as i can but uh you see a clapperboard from valley girl in there uh you see some raising arizona stuff you see a portrait of h.i 
McDonough next to his like uh, the, the thing he wears in the, in the mugshot, right? The placard thing, yeah. The placard, yeah. Uh, and also a slate is uh, there. A prop of uh, Nick Cage's hand from Moonstruck uh, is in that room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is cool. Wild at heart. He has the uh, t-shirt on. It could happen to you. There's a prop of the lottery ticket from It Could Happen to You in the in the room. Wow. Incredible. Uh, that's kind of a deep cut right there. <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you see Clapperboard for the Rock in there. You see uh, you know, a small portrait of Cameron Poe in uh, Nick in the Nick Cage room as well for Con Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the Golden Guns from Face Off with a giant statue of Nicolas Cage in that movie. Uh, there's a, a scene in the movie where uh, they're playing Happy Together, the Turtles song, which was also used in adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a torch from National Treasure in the uh, Nicolas Cage room that Javi wow. has. Uh, you see a copy of the screenplay for Lord of War uh, in the uh, Nicolas Cage room. And then also, I mean, there's a, there's a Ghost Rider picture in there as well. Bad Lieutenant has something in there. There's like a bunch of stuff that's like listed in the closing credits that has not been listed on IMDb yet. But like mm. Bad Lieutenant, Knowing, Bangkok Dangerous, uh, The Wicker Man, Stolen. Apparently all that stuff has something going on <laughs> that's in awesome. that room. I wonder uh, if any of that cool. is real. I mean, it's Nick Cage, right? He must know some be able to get access to that stuff if it's around, right? Uh, I think some of it might have been real. Some of it may have just been like recreations of stuff from Nicolas yeah. Cage movies. And also the Chainsaw from Mandy uh, is in there as well, which they actually like mention in dialogue. And uh, yeah, Mandy's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Which- He's right. I love I love all the like little throwaway moments like that where when like the scene when the, when they're talking about their top three movies and uh, Javi includes Face Off and Nick Cage is just like oh yeah woo a maestro and they move yes. on like I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know it's like beautiful I don't know. There's, there's another scene where they mention Captain Corelli's mandolin. And it's yes. Like, oh, yeah, Captain Corelli's mandolin that was underrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember us not liking that movie at all. We we did not. We <laughs> I believe I named it one of the worst ones that we that we watched. Wow. On the yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, of course, that was before we got through some of the, some more of the VOD stuff. But uh, right. yeah, that was that was a rough one. I thought, but who knows? Maybe maybe I was wrong. Maybe I need to go back and watch it again. Maybe it needs a reappraisal. Yeah. Uh, could be because that's actually the second time I've heard Captain Crowley's Mandolin was underrated from a TV show slash movie. Uh, what? What's the other one? Brooklyn Nine Nine had like a bit. One of the characters is like stuck with Andy Samberg for. Uh, like a whole like he's in a hostage situation or whatever or no he he's like in witness protection so Andy Sandberg is like kind of keeping him in a locked room yeah. uh keeping an eye on him but he's like you know Raymond Holt's husband and so he's very straight laced and very like doesn't watch any Hollywood movies or something and Andy Sandberg's making him watch a bunch of uh, Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> <laughs> and it's like The Rock and Con Air and Face Off and all that kind of stuff and then at the end you know he's like oh Nicolas Cage got range I mean there's this movie called Captain Crowley's Mandolin and he's upset that they didn't watch it because it's a movie about a mandolin <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about this one. We never watched Captain Corelli's Mandolin. What the hell did you just say? Captain Corelli's Mandolin? Say that to my face. Captain Corelli's Mandolin? There was a movie about a mandolin and you kept it from me for two months? Well, I didn't think it was any good. It's just some period piece. What? Set in Greece. Oh, my God. Based on some dumb book. (laughs) Terribly sorry. It has been a very trying time. Yeah. Next thing you're going to say, you wish we had watched Leaving Las Vegas, a dark, ponderous reflection on alcoholism that earned Cage's Oscar. I told you, the guy's got range. But yeah, Captain Crow's mandolin. There you go. Gets a shout out in in the unbearable weight of massive talent. And also, uh, man, there's at the end of the movie, there's a scene where Nick Cage is pinned down by one of the guards and he repeats something from one of his movies. And he's like, it takes 13 seconds for, to get, for the brain to know that it's going to die. And I can't for the it, life of me. I know it's one of the action movies. I know it's one of the no, We Made a Mod trilogy movies. 
No, it's the oh, I mean, it might be. I don't. I didn't actually catch on that because he says that at the beginning to David Gordon Green. Like that's the scene he's reading, quote unquote, oh, for the movie shit. he's auditioning okay. for. But yes, but that's what he does. That line. Okay, fair enough. I think maybe it was like embedded in my brain so deeply early on in the movie that I thought, oh, this is part of the Nick Cage canon. This is right somewhere. <laughs> it's it is now. Uh, <laughs> it is now. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, he says. I I thought it was like a line from The Rock or something that I was missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which that whole scene at the end there, he looks like Sasha Baron Cohen, which is fucking hilarious. Um, it's the only thing I could think of. Interesting. N- Nicholas Cage or David Gordon Green? No, at the, Nicholas Cage at the end. Uh, when okay. He's dressed up as the Italian man. Uh, oh yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty wild. <laughs> anyway, we'll get there, I guess. We will get there. So let's uh, run the movie down scene by scene, or as best we can, because we both just saw it in theaters this past weekend. Didn't take notes or anything. Uh, right. So we are uh, following along with the Wikipedia plot synopsis, and we'll kind of just read the whole thing uh, and kind of comment on it as we go along, similar to how we did it with uh, Pig and Prisoners of Ghostland as well. Yes. Yeah, we'll do we'll do our best, you know? Yeah, going to do as, as good as we can. But uh, so the plot synopsis opens. Uh, Hollywood actor <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is struggling with his career after being passed over for several major film roles, and it's constantly pestered and tormented by Nicky, who appears to him as a younger and more successful self. So that kind of sets up the beginning of the movie. We, we just mentioned the scene where Nicolas Cage meets with David Gordon Green for the part in this upcoming movie and uh, does like a whole read for him. Like he, he's coming off as very desperate. Yeah. And he, I love the, like that conversation where he's like, Oh yeah, it's kind of is. And they do this a bunch of times in the movie where they're like, Oh, this, this feels like whatever, like a dash of this and a little bit of that. Like they're just kind of referencing all of, and he pulls some like Mankowitz written reference or whatever uh, into David Gordon Green. He's like, and of course, King Lear. And they both say it at the same time, which is pretty funny. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, he's Cage is like, oh, you know, I'll read if you want to, if you want me to. He's like, no, Nick, come on. You don't have to read. And he's like slams his car door and does the does that 13 second scene uh, or point three second, whatever. And yeah, he's just he's so pathetic, which actually makes that even harder hit even harder when David Gordon Green passes him over because they work together like they're friends theoretically yeah. in the past which I totally forgot about that he directed Joe I thought it was just you know like a hot director right now David Gordon Green but yeah he's 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 struggling you know yeah definitely and I've, I, it almost feels like if that scene had got, if he hadn't read for the part at that moment he might have gotten it like they, they seemed like they were kind of connecting like you said they that like said the same thing at the same time with like the thing they're referencing and yeah. all that kind of stuff and then it, once he started doing the scene, like right there and like the valet lot, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Gordon Green may have been like a little like put off by it or whatever. Yeah. And then later on, you know, he goes in a different direction. And then uh, what happens after that? He goes home to his family, right? I think technically. Uh, yeah. So next in the next sentence in the uh, plot synopsis here uh, his his relationship with his ex-wife, Olivia and daughter, Addie, is also marred by years of emotional neglect. Uh, so, yeah, now we got to get established with uh, Nick Cage's situation in this movie, uh, which in this version, in this fictional life of Nicolas Cage, he has an ex-wife and a daughter. Uh, in actuality, he has two sons, Weston Coppola and Kal L, and a new baby on the way, by the way. Uh, I saw that, yeah. Congratulations, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. So in this movie, he has a daughter, Addie, played by uh, the daughter of Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen, and his ex-wife, Olivia, uh, played by Sharon Horgan. Uh, so what did you think of his whole relationship with his family and how he was uh, trying to connect with them uh, as this movie kind of kicked off, Mike? It was definitely like a thing, like you said, where it's like, hmm, 
Maybe I should stop doing that <laughs> to people um, where he's showing them movies and like telling them that they like it uh, kind of things like a, a therapy scene, right? They're in, in uh, therapy with his, him and his daughter and he's like, oh, we watched Dr. The cabinet of Dr. Caligari. She loved it. Uh, and she's like, what? No, I didn't. He's like, oh, you said you loved it. And the strained relationship that his uh, like obsession with his work and he always works and that comes first and he can't be there for, for uh, his daughter's birthday on time, doing all this stuff. And he's putting his career first to the detriment of his family. And then when he is with his family, he's being selfish about it, I guess, basically. Like, you know, using yeah. them to bolster his interests kind of thing. Yeah, um, and still pretty preoccupied with work. I mean, when he shows up at the birthday party, he's on the phone with his agent and like trying to get the part and all right. that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And then he gets drunk and sings the Grand Canyon song. <laughs> yes, uh, so following an embarrassing and humiliating event at Addie's birthday party and losing a key film role, Cage plans to retire from acting. So yeah, he's at the party and uh, you know he's getting pretty drunk and everybody at the party seems to know that Nicolas Cage is his, is her father, I guess, or like it doesn't, yeah. seem, doesn't seem phased that Nicolas Cage is drunk at the party and singing a, <laughs> singing a song. Until he like causes a scene, right? Because he's there, right. he's drunk and they're singing happy birthday and it's like kind of a nice little moment. But then he's got to be Nicolas Cage or Nick, <laughs> Nicky Cage or whatever version of himself this is. Right. Uh, and he like calls everybody to the piano to sing this song that he's just drunkenly making up. And it's bad and embarrassing. Yeah, she, his ex-wife like kicks him out or drives him back to where he's living. And and that's the moment when he gets locked out because he owes all this money. He's like in a hotel, I think, or something. That's when he calls uh, Neil Patrick Harris and has the kind of like really big heartfelt moment where he's like that's it i'm done i'm retiring and leaving uh humanity's greatest or longest tradition of storytelling and acting behind i'll find something else to do and then it's you know i got the little button where <laughs> neil patrick harris is like what sorry i was in a tunnel what'd you say uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, devastating so K- yeah cage plans to retire from acting he's hit rock bottom at this point in the yeah. movie uh and so he's really trying to uh, connect with his family and be a better person then neil patrick harris approaches him and he decides to accept a vague offer of $1 million from his agent, Richard Fink, that involves going to an island owned by billionaire playboy Javi Gutierrez and being the guest of honor at his birthday. So Javi's like a Cage super fan, and uh, Neil Patrick Harris is agent. Uh, he knows that Cage wants to retire, and he also knows that Cage is in a lot of debt, and he apparently owes the hotel he's staying at $600,000. <laughs> right. Uh, which, you know, is one of those things where you hear about that kind of stuff with Nick Cage all the time, like over the last like 15 years, especially. Um, and that, that's kind of slowed down in recent years because he finally like kind of caught up to all of his debts. Every once in a while, you hear a story about like, oh, Nicolas Cage bought this Mongolian skull from 13,000 BC or whatever. That turned yeah. out to be like the ancient prophecy that like led to this or, yeah. you know, just kind of insane things. And he spent like, you know, millions of dollars on that he had to return and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of like that they sort of just made it like grounded, like, yes, or it's acknowledged the debt thing. Uh, but it's just because Nicolas Cage's real life is too insane for this movie (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah I feel like that has been like the cultural touch point for him uh, for the last 15 years since like the National Treasure movies or whatever (laughs) Um, it's just like oh he's the guy that owes the government a ton of money or whatever yeah yeah and like spends money on extravagant things he has a tomb that he's gonna be buried in in, uh, New Orleans that he'll that'll happen when he dies Amazing. Good for him. A, gi- a giant pyramid tomb that Nicolas Cage will be buried in, uh, which is pretty wild. Richard Fink offers him this uh, $1 million thing. Sort of, It's a part, sort of, like where he's going to have to go to the birthday party and you know pretend to be having fun and hang out. He really doesn't want to do it, but he needs the money. And then once he takes it, 
He's done. He's out. He is retiring for good. I love that he's like flipping through TV on the private jet and it's like, there's face off. And yeah, and then we, we start getting into a little bit of the spy stuff. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we're going to get to that in a second. First, it's uh, upon meeting Javi, uh, which I, I really the spy stuff happens first, but we'll go by the plot synopsis here. Sure. Uh, upon meeting Javi, Cage is initially annoyed by his neediness and insistence that they create an improvisational movie based on a script he wrote, but is soon inspired by Javi's determination, and the two of them quickly bond over their surprisingly shared love of films such as The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Paddington 2, uh, the latter of which Cage watches for the first time with Javi. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of yada yada going on in that. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> in the but, Wikipedia uh, page there. Yeah, so C- Cage first shows up. I mean, the, the, this whole paragraph is like him kind of meeting with the CIA, and then, so we'll, we'll talk about it in that instance so cage lands tiffany haddish is there yeah and uh ike baronholtz is like kind of communicating with her they're the two cia agents uh they both have the same last name in their credits too so i think they may be supposed to be like husband and wife but i don't think that comes across in the movie i don't think so either but i hope it is that's hilarious also i i I do feel like the cia stuff like with their characters may have been like cut down a little bit by the end of the runtime you know when Mm. when the movie finally came out in theaters i feel like there's i I feel like there's some stuff with those characters on the cutting room floor uh you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely because there's a a moment towards the end or the beginning of the third act or whatever where cage kind of like longingly looks at a room (laughs) which i guess we'll get to where i was like this doesn't necessarily feel earned (laughs) a ton uh (laughs) so it might be that a lot of their interactions and stuff are cut out uh, that definitely is possible um but so cage lands and tiffany haddish uh, sees him or ike baronholtz actually sees him from the car and yeah. uh you know they're spying on uh you know whatever drug organization with like the cartel or whatever it is that they think is going to be there uh and they see nicholas cage and they're just confused like i think it's the actor nicholas cage <laughs> yeah walking out of the airplane uh and then tiffany haddish like approaches him and like decides to like plant a tracker on him is that right yeah, yeah, because it's it's Javi's plane, so they're like staking out the plane, and then Nicolas Cage gets off, and they're very confused. So rather than just aborting the mission, uh, Tiffany Haddish is like, "Oh, maybe my cousin or nephew just loved you in Creed's too, yeah, uh, or whatever," and takes a selfie and, and drops like a, a bug on him or a track, and which is where we get the funny line where she's like, "What do you, you should see Creed's too? It's really good." I'm a 44 year old man. Why the fuck would I see Creed's too? I believe is what I pronounce. <laughs> Correct. It's really good. Hashtag Creed's cast. Hashtag Creed's cast. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so that happened. Happens. And then Cage goes to meet with Javi. Javi actually like picks him up from the airport, but Cage doesn't realize that it's Javi for a while. Yeah, he uh, you know get, goes and they get on the boat, and he's like talking about him on the phone, being like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy, whatever. And uh, you know Neil Patrick Harris is like, you know, just don't, do, you know, if there's any weird sex stuff or something, let me know if he expects you to fuck something or him to <laughs> fuck you or whatever. And and then Cage says all of that to Javi like once they get off the boat. <laughs> Yeah, which was very funny. He's like, I'm not going to suck his dick. I'm not going to fuck his wife. I'm not going to watch him watch me fuck his wife. Like all the weird <laughs> sex shit that uh, Neil Patrick Harris tells him. It's, it's, he's talking to Javi. He didn't know. Yeah, he was talking to Javi the whole time. And so they, uh, you know, he gets back to the uh, the compound, the mansion, and uh, they're just hanging out by the pool. And uh, Javi and Gabriella and a couple other guys are there. And uh, they're talking about like, wow, Nicolas Cage is here. Like, man, remember when you were making big movies like, yeah. <laughs> like The Rock? Bet you wish you were still making that movie. <laughs> Exactly. Tell me what it was like to be a movie star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, Cage is like pretty annoyed to be there. He like that's when they do the leaving Las Vegas thing where he steps into the pool and he drinks the beer and all that kind of stuff. Javi pulls him out and then, uh, you know, they start hanging out a little bit more. And uh, I think Gabriella like pulls Cage out of bed and like forces him to go hang out with Javi. And he's annoyed by Javi at first. And then they actually start to 
bond a little bit over their love of film. And, uh, you know, like like we said, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, a big one for them. Uh, and they start asking each other, like, their top three favorite movies of all time. And that's when Cage discovers that one of Javi's is Paddington 2, uh, which is one of the funniest moments in the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, right before that, I really liked the moment uh, or earlier in the movie where Gabriella is like, you know, this means a lot to Javi. He's taking you to see this play or whatever. And you're going to you're going to like it or see the cliffs or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and then Javi like starts trying to pretend they're being attacked, you know, and all this stuff. And Cage has that moment where he like turns around and then you kind of just see like his like face go steely and like the resolve <laughs> that he's going to act right now. Uh, and he turns around and it's like this really dramatic, like whoosh cameras, like close up moment. Yes. And that's like the beginning of the friendship a little bit. And then they have that conversation about the movies. And then, yeah, the Paddington 2 thing is fucking hilarious. Where yes. Cage is like, that can't possibly be one of your favorite movies of all time. And you just smash cut to them crying on the couch together <laughs> watching Paddington 2. <laughs> Paddington 2 is incredible. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. I, I think this is the movie that will finally get me to watch Paddington 2. <laughs> I think so. We finally got to do it. I think it's got to happen. But uh, yeah, so that that's a great moment. And uh, then soon after that, uh, Cage ends up getting taken by the CIA agents. They tell him that uh, they suspect that Javi who they claim made his fortune through arms dealing, is behind the kidnapping of Maria, the daughter of a politician, anti-crime politician. I believe the president's daughter. I believe she's the president's daughter, right? Uh, or is a candidate for president. Oh, yeah, he's running for yeah. president. They, they, want, they want him to drop out of the race, so they kidnapped his daughter. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and then despite his uh, insistence otherwise, Cage decides to help the CIA with the mission. So he he doesn't believe that Javi is the guy they're looking for because he's got to know him a little bit by this point. Um, but he goes along with it anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I love this moment too cuz uh Cage is saying like in the in the back of the truck. Well, you know, my role my job as an actor is to read people. And like Fahrenheit <laughs> is like, "Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, shut down the uh, you know, our years of uh, intelligence for the CIA." Um Mr. Cage's like nouveau shamanic acting technique. Uh I love that they name dropped the nouveau shamanic uh, acting technique. <laughs> <laughs> Another little deep cut cage lore thing there. It was very funny. Uh, it was pretty great. So uh, after successfully rigging the cameras in Javi's compound, Cage attends a party where he announces his collaboration with Javi on a new movie as an excuse to stay in the compound long enough to find Maria. So uh, at this point, Cage was only supposed to hang out for the weekend for Javi's birthday party. Uh, and then the CIA like kind of insists to find a reason to uh, hang out a little bit longer. And Javi has been pushing Cage to read the screenplay that he wrote and like say, hey, maybe if you want to star in it, ah, that'd be so cool. Does Cage ever actually read his screenplay or he does? Yeah, I think so. Because that's how that's the scene when they kidnap him is he's at the bar with the screenplay. Oh, right. Uh, when yes. he walks out of the bar, they kidnap him. Or the right. CIA. Which which that scene in the bar, by the way, is where he makes out with Nikki Cage, right? Yes. Yeah. And he's like, Tell all your friends Nick Cage smooches good or something, which is fucking hilarious. But yeah, he makes out with himself, which is great. Uh, and it's yes. like really long and there's like a lot of ass grabbing and stuff. It's very funny. Um, and yeah, the scene when he plants the the uh, the camera is also like a very funny, like physical comedy bit where because he uh, like a guard is coming and they give him like this agent to knock him out. Like this thing, yep. he, this like thing he sticks on his hand and all he has to do is touch the guard. But he's so nervous, he wipes the sweat off his forehead uh, and then <laughs> and starts then to paralyze himself. himself. Yeah. 
Um, and it's very funny. And then, yeah. of course, Tiffany Haddish uh, realizes like his action, and he like immediately springs back yes. to consciousness. Uh, that's a that's a great punchline of that bit where she says action, and he immediately becomes the actor and does what he has to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very good. Plants the camera in the compound. He gets that all out, all out there, and then yeah, at the party, he says, "I'm actually going to stay a little bit longer um, because we should uh, work on something together." And Javi's like, "Oh, did you read my screenplay? Do you want to be? Do you want to be in it?" It's like, I read your screenplay. It's good. I don't want to be in it. <laughs> yeah, but we should write a movie together. Yes. So how he's like heartbroken for a second, and then he realizes, and then, you know, Cage says that, and he's like, oh, yes, absolutely, we should do that. And so, yeah, Javi and Cage are going to start working on a new movie together. The paragraph here says, uh, after a misadventure involving LSD, and like that's all that it kind of boils that scene down to. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, sure. But the LSD scene is the best scene in the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, that whole sequence is amazing. It's it's just like Cage and Pedro Pascal doing like peak physical comedy uh, and their interaction with their environment around them is so, so funny. The scene where they're sitting down, they're tripping. They start thinking like the two old people like near them are spying on them. Like they're getting paranoid about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is so so good and uh, the way Pedro Pascal just like looks over and like sees them like, I think they're spying on us and Cage's like okay start laughing at something I said and then look over and see what they said and, and Pascal's laughs like ha 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 and he, like, yeah, just but he, he does it in the wrong order so he turns and looks at them and then does that really fake laugh yes it's very, so it just very looks like good. a psycho just laughing at these people yeah and they're like oh shit run immediately they just get up and sprint away which is so good I, I do almost think it would have been even better if uh, at the very end of the movie those two people were like involved in the uh, yes in the taking down of Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal which they they aren't they disappear after this moment yeah that would have been very funny yeah and then there's the the extended did like trying to climb over the wall and he's like Javi I lo- I'll always love you yeah. <laughs> and of course they drops Javi and he thinks yeah. he thinks he's done for and then there's like there's like an edge to the wall it's like <laughs> they just walks around it. yeah <laughs> it's good. like Javi you're alive and then the um like car chase quote unquote where he's like well I heard you did all your driving stunts on six, got a 60 seconds yeah and then he did then they drive home <laughs> yeah he drives home and does his thing uh and so yeah that's a whole that's a great scene the whole LSD stuff is great and then Cage discovers that Javi keeps a shrine room dedicated to all of his movies including a wax figure of his character Castor Troy from the film Face Off complete with identical golden guns yeah that oh, but I wanted to mention too because the drug scene like I said before the, my uh, reaction to it that is sort of the moment where I was like I don't know how much i'm gonna enjoy this joke where they're talking about the movie they're writing mm. but then they're just doing the thing in the in the movie we're watching you know because he's like we sh- our movie should have a drug scene uh but they're already on lsd so now then we have a drug scene now in this movie yep uh, and it happens later is like we should add a kidnapping plot uh and then that <laughs> happens you know um but it was fine. It's uh, it's enough very fun things in this movie for me to ignore that. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah. And then it says, Cage finds it difficult to betray Javi, um, but Vivian convinces him to work the kidnapping into their script so they could potentially reveal where Maria is. So, yeah, the president's daughter has been kidnapped. They think she's somewhere in the compound. Cage tries to work that idea into the script and tries to explain it to Javi, but he believes that uh, this means that Cage is creatively bankrupt. Yes, he's <laughs> sold out. Uh, you know, he's just like selling out, like he's talking about marketing instead of the art. And when you do that, you're done. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is very fun, like meta commentary on the state of movies right now, especially because they're like 
talking about Marvel stuff in that yeah. scene with Tiffany I think, Haddish. I think, yeah, he and Tiffany Haddish are like, so what gets made now? It's like, well, it's only Marvel and Star Wars, basically. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then here we are, Nick Cage playing himself in a wide release, you know? Yeah, love to see it. Uh, and so, yeah, so Javi believes that Cage has some issues with his own family that he needs to work out. Uh, so he brings Olivia and Addie to his villa from Los Angeles, uh, and they are frightened and angered over what is happening because they think some something has gone horribly wrong like Nicolas Cage is injured or something. Yeah, I think I think um I I forget what Javi tells them but that like that Cage is dead or something like <laughs> like creatively is what he means but he doesn't yeah. say that. Um <laughs> which is very funny. The lead up to that also cuz Cage thinks he's be- oh cuz Tiffany Haddish calls Cage and says like we've been made like our cover's blown. Yeah. Um and then Javi's like you need to come with me. Uh, whatever we do in this room we can't come back from and he cage thinks he's gonna die <laughs> like he thinks he's about to be killed and he's like can't i call my family first and he's like why they're right here and he opens the door and they're like in the room um <laughs> it's all all very good comedy of errors you know? yes yeah absolutely so uh yeah some good stuff there uh and then yeah they're all like having dinner together at this point or having lunch together and uh you know they're they're pretty mad about it the whole situation um they're just gonna have lunch and then just go right back home is the plan now. Um, yeah. But Cage tries to make amends with them over lunch, um, but they reject his appeal and accuse him prioritizing his film career over his family. Yes. Yeah. And this is the kind of big emotional mm, crux of the movie, sort of where he's talking about the way that he thinks he's being perceived by his family. Like, oh, we're yeah. sharing these things together. And his family is like, no, you're making us do this. Like watching <laughs> Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like, I don't enjoy that. And your his daughter is saying that he's trying to craft her into a little version of him rather than him accepting her for who she is and all that stuff. And then shenanigans ensue. And pretty guess, much, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, shenanigans ensue pretty closely after this. But yeah, and that's kind of what I like about the movie too, is that despite all these shenanigans that are happening uh, throughout the movie and all the meta-narrative that's happening, there is a strong emotional core at its center that uh, kind of makes the whole thing work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's where we get to see Cage like do the stuff from pig a little bit you know i don't think it's ever quite that level but like he gets to be a real like a dramatic actor a couple times yes exactly so uh after this uh javi uh goes to meet with his cousin lucas uh and lucas is revealed to be the true arms dealer and uh the one who kidnapped maria the javi is kind of like the figurehead yes of, yeah of everything so it, it, i believe it was his father's business um and so i believe that's why the cia believes it's him and he's it's kind of like led to believe that like he's in charge of it now um but javi wanted no part of that life and lucas is the one who is running the entire operation lucas warns him lucas tells him that cage is working with the cia and uh tells javi that he needs to kill cage or else he will kill Javi. And then uh, Cage is on the phone with Tiffany Haddish because now Cage's family is there. Mm-hmm. And he's asking, like, can you get us out? Can the CIA help us? And Tiffany Haddish is telling him the only way to guarantee your safety is to kill Javi. Right. So now, yeah. So, so Javi you, believes you he see has where to kill this Cage. Is going. <laughs> yeah. Javi thinks he has to kill Cage. Cage thinks he has to kill Javi. Uh, Javi takes a gun and Cage takes one of the uh, the, the two golden guns from the face off room. Right. <laughs> from the face off statue in the Nicolas Cage room and uh, steals those. Uh, and then the two of them drive out together into some like kind of distant cliff. They're about to do it. They have a standoff with each other, but they can't bring themselves to do it. They love each other too much. <laughs> Yeah, I love, but I also love the little detail of the swapping shoes before that, because like, yeah. man, those really bring your outfit together, uh, kind of thing. Because they're, they're such good friends. That is a great recurring bit during that chase scene too, where it's like, you gave me these shoes, no arch support. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they can't, they can't do it. Uh, but Lucas didn't think they'd be able to, so he sent his goons after them. Big shootout action scene happens, and then exactly, 
We're in that third the third act action hook with trailer <laughs> moments and stuff, which is yep. very funny. Yeah, the stuff that uh, actually was in the trailer for this movie, a lot of it. Uh, yeah. And the stuff they talk about in the movie as being the stuff you got to put in the trailer to get people into the theater and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it worked. Yeah, good job. Yeah. Good job, the unbarrel way to massive talent. Uh, but yeah, Lucas sends his men after both of them and they race back to the house to discover that Addie has been kidnapped. Yes, yes. Because uh, we got we were gonna add a kidnapping plot to the movie. That's right. Yeah, and I mean the movie already had one. Now it has two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I mean the script that they were writing on, like Cage, like proposes that the daughter of the main character gets kidnapped. I think, and so now the daughter of the main character has been kidnapped. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she gets kidnapped, and so now it's personal for Nicolas Cage. He takes Javi, he takes Olivia and Gabriella to the CIA safe house, um, only to discover. That it's been compromised. Um, Martin has been killed. He's like dead in the background of the yeah. Shots. We don't even see him die. No, yeah, he dies off screen, which which is partially why I think some of the stuff the CIA guys maybe may have gotten cut from this movie. Yeah, and then Tiffany Haddish like realizes there's a gun or something. She kills the henchman gets killed in the process. Uh, yes. Yeah. She sacrifices herself to kill Lucas's men before they can ambush the group, which is then cage, like kind of looks over the, the room. That's what I was talking about before. And he sees two CIA agents dead. And he has this, like goes inside his brain, th- which was wild. Like he like <laughs> is talking to Nikki, uh, and having that conversation in, in inside his mind. Uh, yeah. Like a being John Malkovich thing, um, which was kind of cool. <laughs> but this was also this was also the moment where I was like, it feels like maybe more happened with the CIA people in Cage because he f- truly mourns their deaths right. in, this, in that moment. You Whereas know? in the like when you actually watch the movie, he see he meets them like twice. I think. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so with Javi's help, uh, Cage and Olivia pose as a reclusive criminal couple to get close to Lucas. Uh, so what that means is that uh, Olivia happens to be um, like, I, I believe her character was like a makeup artist on an old Nicolas Cage movie. I forget which one they Captain say. Captain Pirelli's that Mandolin. That's was how it Mandolin? Comes, okay. That's how it comes up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she was a makeup artist on Mandolin and uh, Javi uh, helps them kind of get together and she kind of creates this disguise for Nicolas Cage uh, as uh, I believe somebody who was involved with the cartel many years ago and hasn't been seen in a long time. Yeah, he's like the um, Italian mafia connection to the cartel. Right. Like, so when he shows up, he looks like Sasha Baron Cohen with like a giant fake nose and big, big sideburns. Yep. And he's doing like an Italian kind of accent thing. Like Mario. Like, yeah. like uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin, actually. Exactly. It's all coming together. <laughs> Captain Corelli's a mandolin. Basically is what he's doing. Uh, I haven't done that in a long time. The Captain Crowley's mandolin <laughs> Italian voice. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he's doing that. And, uh, you know, there's a bit of a tense kind of standoff between them and Lucas, but he ultimately trusts them and brings them back to the compound. And that's where they find Addie and Maria. Both uh, Cage's daughter and the politician's daughter are there. Yeah, I loved that moment, too, right when they show up, right? And he hasn't been seen in 15 years and all this stuff. And Lucas, like, pulls a knife and, like, kicks him and, like, puts the knife to his throat. But then looks at uh, uh, Olivia, like whatever, whoever the person that she's playing is supposed yeah. to be. And she's just like absolutely stone cold. Like oh, she's yeah. in the moment. Uh, she's like, if you wanted to kill him, you would have killed him already. Now stop fucking around or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> whoa, what? <laughs> so good. Yes, Olivia is a badass uh, yes. in this movie for sure. Uh, so yeah, they get to the compound, they locate Addie Maria, but they get found out because uh, at one point, I think Lucas notices that Cage's ear is drooping or something like that, right? <laughs> Yeah, or they knock out a guard or something. They do something that they like didn't have to do because they're welcome to guests. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the characters, they're like the Italian people they're playing. Uh, right. So they immediately get found out to be Nick Cage and 
and Olivia. Yes, and uh, a big shootout occurs. I think Cage is able to get somebody at gunpoint. Might have been Lucas, might have been somebody else. Um, but yeah, she, like Olivia uh, gets Addie and Maria out of there, uh, and they like run run out of the compound while Cage is like stuck there, like with this whole room of guards that are about to attack him. Uh, and then uh, Pedro Pascal comes in, Javi comes in, and he's able to kind of do a big shootout with all the guards and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's where Cage recites the line, the, you know, it takes 1.3 seconds or whatever it is, the 0.3 seconds. Yeah, for, for the brain to realize it's dead. Yeah. It, it just sounds like something that would have been on The Rock, right? It sounds like something absolutely. that would have been in Con Air. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's very uh, good. So I'm, like, surprised that it's, like, not part of the Cage canon already, but now it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Javi shows up, and they have a big shootout, and uh, they escape back to the Jeep, and they all flee. Yes, yeah, there's a big chase out there, and they uh, start driving away, um, but Javi and Gabriela end up staying behind to distract Lucas. Yes, yeah, they're trying to get to the embassy, I think, uh, the U.S. embassy, for protection, for safety, and, yeah, Javi and, and uh, Gabriela, like, bail out of the car to to buy them some time with their yeah, machine guns. And, and it looks like it's a suicide mission. It looks like they're both going out in a blaze of glory kind of thing right here. Uh, and, and they do the, the like little like fist in palm salute thing uh, that they've been sharing this whole time. Yes. Yeah. Which is nice. Javi, uh, Javi and Gabriella finally kiss, you know, their right. love can be requited now. Right. And then it turns into like the chase scene from the rock, uh, like the car chase. Big yeah thing and uh yeah they blow through the gate at the embassy and all this stuff yeah so so lucas does get past javi and gabriella um yes you know and it looks like they may have been killed um but cage addy olivia and maria which by the way uh maria is the politician's daughter and uh, as soon as she realizes that nicholas cage is the one saving her uh which she was watching con air when uh yes she got kidnapped and was like admiring how good nicholas cage was in the movie she was like on the back of the car she sees nicholas cage like nicholas cage that's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got a really big laugh in my theater. So they're racing to the embassy. Lucas still in pursuit. And when they get there, Lucas holds Cage at gunpoint. But Addy uh, tosses him a knife, which Cage uses to take him out. Uh, and then that transitions into the movie that uh, Cage and Javi have completed. Yeah, I mean, between this and everything, everywhere, all at once, there's a lot of movies and movies, yes. fake endings going on. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, Which that was of, one of the biggest laughs of that movie, too, where it's like halfway through and it's like directed by Daniels and yeah. says like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I love I love the, the ending here in Unbearable Weight where it turns into Michael Bay. Like it does the people standing still as the camera spins around them and it pans up to an American flag and like yep. all the, and it's Demi Moore, Demi Moore uh, as the wife. Very, very silly. And then of course, you know, fades to the, the audience in the theater watching the premiere of this movie. Absolutely. So you kind of left, I mean, did all the events in this movie actually happen the way they happened or was it all part of the screenplay that Nicolas Cage and Javi put together? Right. Uh, I don't know. They had a drug scene. <laughs> so like That's true. They, they were just all uh, just one long trip, basically. Um, it, it very well could be. I mean, the rest of the movie after the drug scene could have just been like the screenplay they wrote while they were on drugs. or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> That's definitely what it feels like a little bit, especially the way that that uh, transition happens, because it's when Addie throws the knife and he catches it. And then it, I think that's where it changes because because uh, now we're like in full on action movie mode, basically. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, the whole car chase, all that stuff. Um, and they keep and they keep saying like we're making like a real like grounded character drama about these two characters yeah. who want to <laughs> be with, and then and then it turns into like a big action movie at the end, uh, yeah. and that's what this movie turns into at the end. <laughs> exactly, it's just a smart drama for adults. Uh, is what they keep saying, which is very funny. Yes. Yeah, and then we and then we get a little more resolution with with uh, Javi and him getting to uh, like have the fame, right? Like he's he's going to the Vanity Fair party after the premiere yep. or whatever. Uh, very adorable. Very good. Yes. Yeah. There's a standing ovation at the end of the movie. Everybody's very excited about it. Cage is applauded for his new film. His agent's next to him. And they have like the kind of the resonant thing. Where it's like, yeah, you're back. Not that I went anywhere. Right. That right. Whole thing. That kind of recurring thing throughout the movie. Uh, and he makes amends with Javi before going home with his family to watch Paddington 2. Now with a better relationship. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that movie, that moment is great where, where he's like, they're sitting on the floor with the popcorn and, and he's like, you know what, Addie, why don't you pick the movie? And she's like, kind of embarrassed. Like, I don't know. You kind of want to watch Paddington too. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, yes. Good. Good. <laughs> and then the Warren Zevon needle drop and yep. then uh, go out the window to, I guess the real, it looked like real downtown LA or whatever. Cause I'm pretty sure there's a billboard for unbearable weight of massive talent. There is. Yeah. In the shot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I really, so and that is the end of the movie. That's that's where the movie leaves off. So uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's it sort of feels like this could have been like, you know, the crest of the Nicolas Cage comeback. And I don't think it necessarily is. I think there's a lot more to the comeback after this. I think so too, yeah. You know, which is uh, which is very exciting to see. And so when it was first announced, it was like, oh man, this is going to be, you know, a cool, like big meta thing with all these Nicolas Cage references. And it is very much that, but it is also a very sweet, sincere story about a guy trying to uh, get his family back and kind of, reclaim something that once was his uh and i think that's kind of cool yeah yeah i think i think that's what will give this movie kind of the uh yeah lasting power i guess is the way to say that like it is it's not just a goof is all is what i mean you know yeah. so i hope this kind of kind of reignites the public's passion for seeing his movies maybe gets him you know i mean i guess renfield is a studio movie uh gets him some more attention from studios in whatever role that might be it'd be it'd be great It'd be very fun to have Nicolas Cage be a regular part of the theater experience again, you know? Absolutely. Especially if he starts working with like really good directors too, which he's already, you know, doing in recent years with like yeah. Cosmatos and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so like imagine like Nicolas Cage gets cast in the next Christopher Nolan movie or something. Like, wouldn't that right. be wild? <laughs> I mean, I think everyone else is an Oppenheimer. Come on. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. Just write, write something in there. He could just play Nicolas Cage again. <laughs> Yeah, it'll just be Nicolas Cage. Why not? <laughs> Hanging out during the Manhattan Project in World War II. I think it'd be great. That'd be a delightful <laughs> cinematic yeah, experience. Exactly. He could be the captain from USS Indianapolis again. <laughs> the Indianapolis verse uh, is finally. Oh. All right. So, yeah, that is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, a movie that we both uh, really enjoyed and uh, does symbolize just so much for the career of Nicolas Cage that uh, we're very excited about. Um, but we've got to talk some letterbox reviews, Mike. Oh, yeah. I'm interested. What, are they, what do people have to say? Yeah, let's talk about the, what the people have to say uh, on Letterboxd. Here's a four-star review from David Chen, uh, host of the Slash Filmcast. Or I guess now it's the Filmcast. Uh, Get but, it right, uh, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I'm six months behind in my podcast, uh, Mike. Okay, so okay. I've gotten to the name change, but the theme song is still the same. So for me, it's still the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> got it. Got it. Uh, but here's a four-star review from David Chen, which reads, At last, finally, the Spider-Man No Way Home of Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Which is an accurate thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think both movies uh, rely heavily on uh, your appreciation for a specific franchise, I suppose. In in one case, Spider-Man, and in other case, Nicolas Cage movies as its own idea of a canon, I guess. Yeah, a body of work. 
Yes. Yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. Body of work. Uh, here's a three-star review from Lily. Uh, Should have just been a feature-length version of the scene where Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal watch Paddington 2 together. Yeah, basically. I mean, it would have been great. Like a mystery science theater reaction of Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal uh, should be like a special feature on the DVD or something, right? That'd be incredible. <laughs> I, I really hope that they're on the commentary on the Blu-ray or something. That'd be amazing. That, that would be incredible. If they re-released Paddington 2 on Blu-ray with special Cage Pascal commentary. <laughs> Be unbelievable. Uh, supposedly, there is a deleted scene, uh, like a deleted sequence, this whole sequence, um, in which Nicolas Cage um, reprises a lot of his roles from past movies. Oh, interesting. In this, like, German expressionistic sequence in the style of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I was actually kind of surprised, I think you sort of talked about it a little bit, that the movie doesn't do that, where it's not Cage saying the quotes from the other movies. Uh, right, which which may have been why it was cut, but I'd be really curious to just see that sequence, especially if they're doing it like Caligari. Like, that's, yeah. like I just want to see what that looks like, but apparently like leaving Las Vegas is part of that, Face Off, Con Air, like all the big stuff wow. uh, is in there. So yeah, I, I believe that'll be, like, I believe Cage has said that will be on the Blu-ray. So look forward to that when it comes out. Hell yes. <laughs> uh, here's a three-star review from Reese. You know when your friend sends you a decent meme that doesn't make you laugh, but is good enough where you kind of blow air through your nostrils? This movie is that for 105 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's better than that. I do. I, I, I do think it's better than that also, but I could, to, I could totally see where somebody would be coming from with that one too. Uh, and we should say, I, I think we are both kind of biased because we are both pretty yeah. invested in the career of Nicolas Cage at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, here's a three-star review from George Clark. Nick Cage is back, baby. The unbearable weight of massive talent is as bonkers as it is eye-rolling. Cage is magnificent, insane, and fun, as always, and Pedro Pascal steals every scene he's in. Their chemistry is easily the best part of the film, and while some of the jokes don't land, every scene they shared was a joy, uh, truly making this a BFF comedy. Honestly, the whole film feels like one big gag, celebrating Cage's career while also making fun of him in the process. The good ultimately outweighing the bad, despite its fair share of problems, but hey, the self-awareness sure is fun, and the buddy comedy vibes were great. What a truly wacky experience. I think that's that's also sort of my favorite part about this is the scenes that that Cage and, and Pascal share together before the like action movie turn is is just like a hangout movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, which, which is great. It's a, it's a smart comedy drama for adults, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think they're both great in this movie and like all that kind of stuff. Honestly, I would watch like a sequel to this movie that like focuses more on them just hanging out, you know? Yeah. 100%. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, I finally got one more. It's a four-star review from Elric Kane, uh, co-host of Pearson Cinema Podcast and many other podcasts as well. Somehow they found what little joy still exists in the universe and squeezed it all into this film for us. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, I also saw that moment is great too in the movie where they sort of talk about that the role of like an actor what, what you're supposed to do and give give people joy uh, yes. with with your movies. It's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And Nicolas Cage, of course, having a moment right now with this movie. There's also a new book right out right now called Age of Cage, which basically does what this podcast has done and goes through every Nicolas Cage movie and kind of analyzes the history of Hollywood over the past 40 years uh, through the lens of Nicolas Cage. Uh, and, you know, when I read that description of that book, I was like, that's very similar to what we've been doing on this yes. podcast. Uh, but it's written by Keith Phipps, uh, who is a great film writer, uh, used to be on the AV Club and the Dissolve, uh, and I believe has his own newsletter now and has, you know, his byline pops up everywhere. I have not read the book yet. I'm very excited to check it out, though. Um, so, yeah, may maybe one day we'll do like a bonus episode reviewing the book or 
you know, I'll, I'll reach out to Keith Zips, see if we can get him on the podcast. That'd be fun. Yeah. Or if uh, people want to donate at our Kofi page so uh, we can buy Age of Cage, you could do that at Kofi, uh, Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, uh, plural, because we have two podcasts. There you go. Way to sw- swerve right into that. Love that, Mike. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike, where can we find you online this week? Uh, you can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And like I said, you can donate to support the show at our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike Ed Mike Pods. Plural because we have two podcasts. There it is. All right. You can find me online at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decretio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at GoldbloomPod. You can find the rest of our podcasts on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts, but comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by at Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Join us on the next Complete Works. We've got one more regular Jeff Goldblum episode left as we talk the final season of Search Party. Yes, yeah. We've uh, run out of feature films and we're into recurring character territory. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is more like a bonus episode of the podcast, I feel like, because, uh, you know, by our own rules, we usually don't cover... You know, anything on TV that Goldblum is not the main cast in, if it's an ongoing TV show. Yeah. But we both really like Search Party. (laughs) And Jeff Goldblum does play a pretty major role in the final season of Search Party. And it's the last one before a finale episode. So we're like, ah, fuck it. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. I uh, needed an excuse to make you watch Search Party, (laughs) the show. Uh, And there is Jeff Goldblum, like the the beacon on a hill. Uh, There you go. There it is. So I'm very excited to watch it. I can't, I can't wait to find out which prestige HBO Max series that Nicolas Cage joins that uh, you'll be able to make me watch yes. <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> Correct. It's going to be uh, very good. Yes, absolutely. So Search Party next week in the podcast, plus this week on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, we are doing some discussions where we talk everything everywhere all at once. We talk the Northmen, uh, the Critters movies. I mean, we run the gamut there. Really. Yeah, well, uh, we do talk about everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, But there you go. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And thanks for getting in the case. Bye!